When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All gas, no break. Now we have liftoff. Welcome into the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast. And we are recording this live Monday evening, 7.08 p.m. I'm your host, John June. And of course, got my guy, my good friend, Frank Jim Piccolo. Frank, what's shaking, baby? Uh, no, baby, what's going on? The season came to a close yesterday. A little a little disappointing, but uh, what are you going to do? It's been First fun, though. Break, it, you can't return my baby with another baby because that just insinuates things that have no bearing on this show. So, But we can't have babies? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, not, that's, not, that's not nice. Um, anyways, so we got to talk about these New York Jets, man. The The – the Buffalo Bills game uh, obviously was a game different than what we've seen from these New York Jets, uh, you know, this year, at least within the division, right? I mean, they gave, they played a competitive game against Miami uh, the second time around. Um, you know, they were, they were able to um, have a 13-10 game here against Buffalo into the third quarter, uh, actually into the fourth quarter. Buffalo then, you know, blows the doors off of it with a 14-0 lead. But uh, before we break down the game, got to share some sad news uh, in the football community um, in you know, especially the Jets football community as legend, um, staple on the 1968 championship team uh super bowl three uh hall of famer one-time all pro four-time pro bowler like i said uh super bowl three champion uh all-time receiving yards leader uh at the time of his retirement and remains the all-time jets leader in receiving yards and touchdowns i'm talking about the great late don maynard uh, who passed away today at 86 years old. Um, Frank, 
any words uh, on on the passing of Don Maynard? Just the thoughts and prayers with his with his family. Like when you talk about the best Jet football players, you know, I think you have to consider Don Maynard as, if not the best, top two, top three. Doesn't doesn't go down that line when you talk about all his accolades and everything that he did. He's he might be top. 15 receiver all time when you talk about what he did when he did it you know compared to the receivers of today and even of yesteryear like Don Maynard was the man no absolutely I, I you know I put up a tweet um you know with some just some stats about Don Maynard because you know I, I am not the you know the historian that quite that you are when it comes to the Jets and Jets football, but one one thing I I do I do understand and I do you know really have a thing for when it comes to football is 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 the numbers and you know statistics and uh, records and just different things and one of the things that really stuck out to me about Don Maynard was back in the 1960s, right? Like DBs were allowed to basically uh, beat up wide receivers, you know, throughout the route, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't until like the Mel Blunt rule in like the seventies that you weren't allowed to, to basically mug receivers uh, throughout the route before the five yard, you know, that five yard cushion. Uh, and Don Maynard in those sixties, a time again, what, you know, passing offenses, you know, they weren't, they weren't what they are today, nowhere near what they are today. And at that time, you know, Maynard from his career in 1960 all the way through to 1973, um, you know, in 1973 he played, you know, two games with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, but, you know, he, he was a, you know, 19, in 1958 he was – you know, with the Giants, uh, you know, very briefly, like five games. And then in 59, he went to Canada. Uh, so 60 was when he really got his shot with the Jets. And, and so from 60 to 73, he averaged 18.7 yards per reception. Like that would be a really good number today uh, to average for that span. But that was a really good, like a very, very good number at that time. And, you know, that includes his age 32 and age 33 season, right? And, you know, this was in 67 and 68, the 68 year being the year where the Jets would go on to win Super Bowl three. He had 1,434 receiving yards in, in 67. He had 1,297 receiving yards in 68. Uh, that was at... 20.2 yards a clip for 67, 22.8 yards a clip for 60. Like the two was averaging 23 yards a catch on almost 1,300 receiving yards. And by the way, you know, scoring 10 touchdowns a season, right? Like not an average, like he had 10 touchdowns each of those seasons. And these are in like 14 games and less, right? So like the 68 season, he played, I think, 13 games that year. So this dude was just an absolute, like, he was so different, 
you know, for his era of football. And, you know, it's, it's crazy just to think that it was, it took until 2015, like this guy played, he, he had that wonderful record-breaking season in 67, the 1,494 yards in 14 games. It took until 2015 for Brandon Marshall to break that record for the New York Jets, right? Like, just, again, this this guy was, he was awesome. Like, I just remember seeing highlights of Super Bowl three, just highlights of Don Maynard throughout his time, right? Like, um, he, one of the things that really stuck out to me was just him and, like, he was just a wide receiver flanked out wide in a three-point stance. Like, I never saw something like that. Uh, but Don Maynard, I was like, how can you be in a three-point stance, and, you know, playing wide receiver? But this guy was just flying down the field, just, you know, catching bombs. And so I know that's, a you know, a long, you know, thing there, but just RIP to a, a legend and a Jets great and somebody who's I never watched play, but, you know, whose game I, I, I really, really appreciate, uh, you know, coming from, you know, obviously the world of doing stats and fantasy football and things like that. Yeah, I echo those sentiments, John. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, the present-day New York Jets. Um, you know, they they were <laughs> Oh, man, that's my guy, Jean-Luc. Uh, yeah, it's not what it seems, bro. I promise you, man. It's not what it seems. Uh, it's not what it seems. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, made me lose my train of thought there. The Buffalo Bills, uh, again, 27-210 uh, was the final score there for the New York Jets. And um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a spirited effort. It was a spirited battle for, for three quarters. I mean, you really – you know, there was a time there where you really felt like the Jets were going to pull this one out. The Jets would get a win here against a divisional opponent, uh, and it would have made it that much sweeter because New England was losing, so you could have got the win and not helped New England at the same time. And so <laughs> got to love, uh, you know, the battle that these guys put forth here, especially, you know, the defense, man. They were, they were undermanned, under – uh, you know, basically the underdogs coming in this game, 16 and a half point dogs to a Buffalo Bills team that is expected to go deep into the into the AFC playoffs. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, Jeff Ulbrich had this defense ready to play. I mean, they put Br- – I mean, all this talk about Buffalo the last time, how come we don't put Bryce Hall on Stephon Diggs? Well, it seems like this time they were content with putting – they were content with putting Brandon Eccles on Stefan Diggs and letting Bryce Hall go with Gabe Davis. They, they seem to play much, you know, more matchup. Um, you know, they're, they're not entirely playing zone or, you know, man coverage, but they're playing more matchup, co- matchup type coverage with their defensive backs. I mean, what are your thoughts on the performance by the defense? And, and you know, what are your thoughts on the usage of the utilization of the cornerbacks? I think I think Ulbrich has done a pretty solid job the last uh, couple weeks. Uh, you could see him mix matching uh, certain guys in. I think I think moving Pinnock from cornerback to safety really has helped. Like Pinnock had a really solid game, and 
And Eccles, you could see the progression week in and week out, especially since he come back from that little injury that he had. Like he's a really he's gonna be a really solid cornerback. And I don't like it's a little premature, but I don't think the Jets should target a uh, a cornerback in the first two rounds with how these guys have progressed. Like I obviously if they can make a run at JC Jackson, make a run at JC Jackson, but I, I don't I don't I think cornerback is gonna be okay, especially if we fix this D line and the atrocious linebacker play that we've seen this season. Yeah, I think we've seen enough from, you know, these guys. And, again, cornerback is a tricky position because it is a very volatile position where guys can come in and they can play really well for a season. And then next year uh, they don't have as good of a year. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe don't, they don't get their hands on as many balls or they don't, they're not able to, you know, snag as many interceptions or things like that, right? So uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. But just imagine how good this cornerback, these cornerbacks and this coverage could be when you get a pass rush here, right? Like there was – the pass rush was inconsistent at times. Um, but I think that adding an elite pass rusher and getting – you know, talented depth either through the draft or, you know, some free agents, like adding some competition to the cornerback room is is better than the vice versa, right? Like I, I would rather get an elite pass rusher and get a, a, you know, you know, cornerback competition as opposed to get an elite corner and try to get pass rush competition because, you know, it's going to be very hard to find a, a pass rusher, you know, whether it's, a middling free agent or, you know, a late round, a middle to late round draft pick to get to come in here and, and compete, you know, for double digit sack production, but you could get an athlete, you know, cause really that's what the jets are, are kind of missing out in, in the, in, you know, in the secondary is outside of having hall and having, um, having hall and having Eccles, you don't really have guys that can that you feel comfortable with running with guys consistently out on the outside, right? Like if Echoes or Hall goes down, like who do you feel comfortable throwing out there? You know my fix to that. We talked about it the other day. Who I'm really high on coming out of this draft. Oh, you mean Kyle Hamilton? Kyle Hamilton? Yeah, it's it's all the chips in the middle of the table for Kyle Hamilton for me. And we'll and as we get closer, we'll delve into why I feel that way. But <clears throat> just just keep an eye on Kyle Hamilton. I, I know a lot of Jet fans are a little hesitant because of Jamal Adams, but this kid isn't Jamal Adams. That that like comparing bringing up Jamal Adams like has no bearing to me about whether the Jets will draft a player at that other at another position like that, right? Like. Joe Douglas didn't draft Jamal Adams, right? Like he obviously they, they didn't value Jamal Adams for what he was asking for, but there's a reason for that. And, and Kyle Hamilton, you know, like like you said, I know we'll obviously talk about draft prospects and things like that, but I don't compare Kyle Hamilton to Jamal Adams. I know you've been very adamant about it. You know, I kind of have a process where I don't really try to look at these college guys until I know that they're pretty much going to declare. Um, outside of that, like I don't. I don't try to delve into these prospects, 
but you know, I, I I did look at Kyle Hamilton. I did you know do some some uh, did watch a little bit of him, and, and he he fits what this defense kind of needs, which is like an a, an athlete back there that can make plays and run across the field and uh, make you know tackle sideline to sideline and just wreak havoc for a defense, right? Because when you look at this Jets defense, like who wreaks havoc on it? I don't think anybody. No one. CJ Mosley at times. At, at times. times. At times. Right. When like, but again, we talked about this the other day. We were texting back back and forth. CJ Mosley is, you know, he's he's like this every game or like every other game where it's like one game he's he's playing like a maniac. He's got 18 tackles. He's got like, you know, two tackles for loss. Like he's he's making stops, right? Like and you're like, wow, CJ Mosley's uh, like he's he's a man possessed right now. But then there's other times like you know the Buffalo game on Sunday where you're watching him and you're like, he doesn't he didn't move his feet. There are several times I'm watching him. He like doesn't move his feet and just lets the lineman get to the second level and just take him out of the play. Like that first touchdown run where he, yeah. it, it was like his feet were in cement and. He let the lineman get inside leverage on him, and once the offensive lineman get inside leverage, you're done. Like I don't care how big and strong you are. Yeah, right. Like but, especially if you're not moving. Yeah, <laughs> and and you said game to game, CJ Mosley will go like quarter to quarter, or drive 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 for drive. Like there'll, there'll be a stretch where he'll have three good drives, and then he'll have a terrible drive, and the opposing team will score. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, you know inconsistent. I mean, it seems by all accounts that the Jets want him back there, and it seems like the, you know he he he's speaking like a man who who expects to be back, talking about recruiting and and telling you know telling people that hey, if you if you don't if you think you're going to come here and lose and don't come, uh, you know I love that stuff. Um, definitely love that. Um, but at the end of the day. I think that they definitely need some linebacker help. I don't think that that's a possibly possibly thing. I think that it would be maybe it seems like a luxury almost, but like if they could use if they could find a way to creatively, um, you know, turn some of the one of these picks in the top forty into an extra pick in the second round that you could use on on a playmaker on the defensive side of the ball. I think that they could very much use that right now. Absolutely. You know, even if we find like a true Mike backer where you could move, see, like we talked in the offseason, moving, moving him into that <clears throat> where we played Hamza. And, uh, you know, because that's what we're really missing is that that will linebacker spot. Like, like, who do you put like when you get ready to play the Jets defense, who do you put the penny on? Right. Like the penny to distinguish like this is the player. That we're looking for, right? Like Quentin. We, Quentin. That's Quentin, it. right? It's got to be Quentin, it. and that's it. You know, and Quint, I, JF, again, JFM at times, you know, JFM, you know, he was banged up all year, but JFM at times. And tell you the, tell you the truth, Quincy Williams probably played a better linebacking position in the totality than CJ Mosley this year. Yeah, he, I mean, he's been, he's been getting better, right? Like, he's, you could see, the progression of of Quincy Williams, like you you ex, you have lower expectations for Quincy Williams, 
So like when he does something great and phenomenal, like it, it really pops off the screen. Uh, the, I think he could he could still do better in coverage, and I think he will do better in coverage because you've seen you've been, you've even seen his growth there throughout the year, right? Like where it's times where it's like, why do you have him matched up on this on this running back, and then he you know he's able to make a play, and you're like, okay, like he's he's actually learning, he's getting better at, at this. So uh, I definitely think that they can make an addition there at the linebacker spot. Uh, you know, Quincy Williams has, again, like, like you said, been playing well. Um, C.J. Mosley could play better. But, uh, you know, don't forget, like, Jamie and Sherwood, Hamza and Azraldine, like, these two guys were making a transition that is is not very easy to make, right? Like, we say, like, it was a shock to us that they were getting, you know, first team reps and the opportunities that they were getting as early as they did. Um, Cause you know, it was kind of sink or swim, but at the end of the day, right? Like these guys are coming into, to a situation where it's not just like, Oh, because I was good in coverage or I played safety, like I'm going to come in and I'm going to be this, you know, run and hit, you know, uh, linebacker who can make plays in space. Like you also have to know how to get off blocks. You have to know how to, you know, you're not handling these 300, uh, pound lineman from you know eight seven you know seven eight nine yards depth like now you're at like four four five yards of depth right and and these guys are on you now so like how do you handle that right you know uh, when they're coming off a double team they're coming to you right like how do you how do you handle that right so um there's a lot of there's a lot more growth and a lot more uh learning that needs to get done before these guys can you know really really make an impact frank you you know anything else you want to add on this topic no uh, i'm i'm with you right there you know the you know defense is probably you know missing that guy but that guy probably would have been lawson right you know losing him probably hurt yeah then- the thing that the thing that we talked about too you know we've talked about all offseason was how good Lawson was for Quinnen, right? Like, and I think that's one of the things that we we lose sight of, right? Like, we we expected Quinnen to have a phenomenal year, and you know what? He did have a he did have a pretty good year when you look at it, uh, when you consider you know per game basis and things. But that's another part of it. Like, got to get him to stay on the field. But there's this there's this like this other ceiling that we haven't seen yet because there's, you know, JFM again, he's great, but even JFM is a guy who you have to not play out of position, but you can't use him to his fullest potential because you don't have a true edge presence, right? Like JFM is a guy you should be moving across, moving all over the defensive line, trying to get matchups with, uh, you know, same thing along with Quinnen, right, where you can have this versatile defensive line and he could be that matchup piece. Yeah, like Sam Fran did with Buckner. Yeah, for all absolutely. those years. Like that, that's what you that's what you want to use those two guys at. And to make matters worse, you you lose Bryce Huff for the majority of the year, who was your only edge presence once Lawson went down. I think I think Joe D is gonna have to make a real effort and bringing more edge guys into here. Um, but that being said, it was, it was year one of this rebuild and what we thought was going to be a strength 
what wasn't really when you talk about the depth of the offensive line and that really reared its ugly head yesterday. Well, that's the thing about depth, right, is that you have a lot of it until you don't, right? Because in the NFL, injuries injuries happen and and they can have they can almost cascade on you and the Jets had had some of the worst injury luck, if not the worst injury luck in the league. And so there's an expectation that they, they should regress from that. But I feel like we've been saying that about the Jets for like two, three, four years now with the amount of, of injuries that they've had to key players over the recent years. But, I mean, Sunday was about as bad as it gets, right? You're on your, your third string left tackle. I mean, I don't even know what to call that. Is that your fourth string left tackle? Because I don't know if Chuma got benched, right? Like, so you go from Becton, who gets hurt, to, to Fant, who gets hurt, to Chuma, who is ineffective and also gets hurt. And then now you got McDermott in here. So, um, so I think that, the, you know, I, th- I think that this is one of the situations here where they have to attack this, you know, the continue to get the depth of the offensive line. And a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I was, you know, hyperbolically saying that we should use another pick on on offensive line because you know we lack toughness but they honestly should use a middle round pick uh, at least one or two mid round picks on the offensive line you know if it's in the fourth or fifth round I know they don't have oh they do have a fourth round pick because the Chris Herndon trade so you know if you're using some picks you know even a third round pick on an offensive lineman which they don't have a third round pick but um, you know, if you can find a way to, you know, again, get creative in those middle rounds and take some more offensive linemen and kind of do what the New England Patriots do. I, I, like, I think the way New, the New England Patriots have built their offensive line is, is one of the smartest ways that you can build an offensive line, right? Because they're constantly just taking guys in the middle rounds, right, in the second, third, fourth round of the draft. And if they hit on those guys – their starters, right? And then they just keep drafting more. And then those guys end up going on, you know, to get free agent money somewhere else, like Joe Tooney, uh, who was the other guy, Nate Solder, uh, some of these other guys, and then they get a compensatory pick for it. And then they use that compensatory pick to then draft more offensive linemen. Like, I think it's it's a genius way to kind of farm, you know, have a, a running farm of offensive linemen while also staying out of cap hell. Um, you know, Frank, your thoughts on on any of this? Yeah, well, I think, and I and I, I kind of forgot about him too. We still got Cam Clark. You know what? I was gonna bring him up to you the other day. Uh, he's been somebody I've been I've been you know thinking about because again, he was just dealing with a concussion, neck injury. You know, it was it was a scary situation, but you know, it's not like you know uh, there's a ligament issue or a knee or a joint or something that we're concerned about i mean and obviously a concussion in the neck is is very scary i'm not trying to you know make light of that but you know, i would imagine that there's a good probability that he he's he can make you know uh compete for a spot on this roster and it you know especially uh, duvernay talked about he not might not be able to play football next year because of his uh his his career like his other career being a doctor but and if that's the case, you know, you might be able to, 
to get away with having Cam Clark competing for that right guard spot. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And I mean, maybe you could still even work out something with Duvernay Tardif where, you know, I mean, I guess why would you, if you're, if you're him, why would you want your rights to be held by somebody? Like if you're not going to work, but you know, it would be, he was a, she was such a really good addition to this offensive line that, you know, it would really be, it would really suck to see him go. Uh, But like you said, I think Clark could be a nice, you know, make could make for nice competition there. And you still don't know what's going to happen with Moses. Can you convince him to come back and and maybe compete at guard, right? Like that's the, that's the thing to do because he, he just looks like a guard (laughs) and he's such a dog. Like, like it was good. Like my takeaway from yesterday, it was good to see the jets like fight a little bit. Like they, they weren't going to lay down. They weren't going to be pushed around. And I, like you start, you're starting to see an identity with this team. It kind of sucks that it, it took this long, like this late in the season to the Jets to find the identity. Like, you know, they want to run the ball. You know, they kind of want to run those gadgety plays once or twice a game. And you know the de- how the defense wants to play. Like they want to play that zone. They want to play tough nose downhill football, which is good because we have we had didn't have an identity with Gase. Now, like you can you can see what Sal is trying to do. You can see what Ulbrich and Lafleur are trying to do. Like every like they're they're attacking. Like they're not going into a game. We're not going as fans into a game questioning what our team is doing because we don't understand the concepts that the coaching staff has implored for this week's game plan. No, again, I think those are phenomenal points, right? Like when you look at the situation these last few weeks from, you know, the, the Miami starting, you can start at the Philadelphia game, really, right? Like the Philly game, the New Orleans game, the Miami game. Uh, but the Miami game is where it really it really started, where they've been able to now put almost games together, right? Like it started where the the Philly game and the the Philly game they were able to put a half together, which you're like, okay, that, like wow, that's that's really good. And then the New Orleans game, uh, you know, again offensively it was rough, but for the most part they were able to put three quarters of competitive football together. And then the Miami game, they held a lead for most of it, right, up until, you know, the second half where, you know, they relinquished it. And then the Jacksonville game, they end up winning that, of course, a game that they're supposed to win. The Tampa Bay game, they basically were winning that game for 58 minutes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know. And then the Buffalo game, again, they, they gave a fight to a divisional opponent who – didn't who had something to play for in week 18 like they like if buffalo doesn't win that game they they had a you know obviously new england ended up ended up being a moot point but they could have not won that division and so you know i think i think you said this i i think it might have been you that said this a few weeks ago and correct me if i'm wrong but you wanted to see something similar to what miami did a few years ago with flores and obviously flores getting fired today uh, you know, no, hopefully. So dumb. 
So yeah. dumb. Don't know the exact reasons. Maybe there it seemed like there was some kind of uh you know power struggle there, but they they remind me of Miami from a few years ago. I mean, the, maybe not the quality of like the quality of wins because that Miami team they were able to beat New England in Week 17 when New England was actually playing for uh, you know the number one seed, and this was like the Tom Brady New England Patriots, right? So like there was that, but I think that the the football that they've been able to play in recent weeks is kind of reminiscent of that Miami team and how competitive they've been. And when you consider that Miami team, right, like they went on to draft a rookie quarterback into like the Jets already have their rookie quarterback in place. So they can go on with the idea of, hey, we're building around Zach Wilson. Like these four picks – that we have, which Miami, again, was in a similar situation with all the draft capital that they had. But it was like the four pick, these four picks that we have in the top 40 aren't to help us. None of them is a quarterback. Like these are all to help build up our roster. And if, if, if LaFleur, if he can continue to take the steps that he took today, or not today, but this year, and especially during the back half of the year, and he's able to continue to make those improvements in the, in game planning, uh, you know, especially the second half. I think he's been doing a lot better at that, right, where, you know, at first it was like they couldn't score in the first quarter. Uh, then, then, it, then it seemed like the first 15 was, like, really good. Uh, and then they were, they, had, they were able to string together, like, full, you know, a, a whole first half. And now it seems that, you know, LaFleur has just gotten to the point where he's like, no, I can call the whole game now. Like I can, I can punch and I can counter punch. And I think that that's very important uh, for the Jets because they haven't had an offensive coordinator here in a while who could counter punch, right? Like I think, uh, you know, we saw it out of Chan Gailey in the 2015 year, um, you know, but after, before that, even shot, even Schottenheimer had his limitations, right? Like LaFleur is the first OC that I've seen, that could consistently punch and throw a counter punch here. And I think as he grows and Zach Wilson grows in this offense, and, you know, obviously yesterday they were playing undermanned. Like, think about this real quick. The Jets were playing in a game yesterday where at one point, at one point they didn't have their top five receivers, their top five. Right, no Corey Davis, no Elijah Moore, no Braxton Berrios. You lose Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole both during the game. That's your top five receivers. <laughs> like, absolutely absurd what they had to go through yesterday. And I think that Joe Douglas and this coaching staff, they know that. They know that they need to add more receiver depth. I would imagine at least like three receivers getting added to this room. That's it. Yeah, probably more. You might be looking at more because you're probably look, losing Crowder. You're either losing Crowder or Barrios. One of the two guys are not coming back. I don't think. I don't think you could afford to lose both of them. Cole's probably gone. I, I'd let Smith go. 
he does he does nothing for me. And and then you got the question mark with Mims. Yeah. I think Mims gets a training camp to try to prove himself and, and, and you know get an opportunity, but he better he 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 better go see like go to like Michael Irving's camp that Michael Irving has with some of the players or I'd love to see him work out so, with Brandon Marshall or you know or, or, maybe, or something, man. Like, like those guys. Like, remember Robbie Anderson went and worked out with Ocho and came back and had like 900 yards. Like, come on, man. That or you know, talk to Debo Samuel. Find out what Debo does, so he <laughs> oh, can De- learn that playbook. Enzo Mims can't do what Debo does. That's no, what I know, but <laughs> yeah, we know that. But just that playbook, so he can understand that playbook. Because I think that's what Denzel Mims' problem is. He he's that he's thinking too much, like. Like yeah, in that, ga- like in that gaze off, healthy. in that gaze offense, he was like the only receiver. He was running in the middle of the field, and you know he was able to do what he did. You know, yeah, like run vertical. Yeah, exactly. And and you you don't do that in this offense. Like like Salah talked about it today. How this offense isn't like most offenses. Is that this offense will do things post snap to get a certain player the football. And if and if you're not and you saw it multiple times this year, if you're not the primary ob- objective on that play as a receiver, you can't dog it. Like and Mims dogs it a lot. Yeah, he he's there's been some laziness from him, which you know, like you don't want to see from a guy that is fighting for opportunities, right? Like when you get an opportunity, like you should be going. If you're gonna make him like. You're gonna make a mistake, and I'm sure you, you know you heard this a ton, Frank, and your playing days, and anybody, anybody who's listening that's ever played football. But like, you've always been told if you make a mistake, you make it at a hundred percent full speed. Like, you, like you, nobody was gonna get mad if you, like, especially like if you know it works like offensive linemen, whatever, right? Like, even if you block the wrong guy, right? Like, what do they say? Don't don't like half block the wrong guy, like. If you're gonna block the wrong guy, like block the wrong guy. Yeah, because you're gonna cause you're gonna get yelled at regardless, right? <laughs> like but when the coaches put on the tape to be like, all right, he might be in it, he might not be the smartest person in the world, but at at least he did not just loaf it. Like yeah. like and they see that. Why why do you think they love Braxton Barrios? Well, the other problem is Braxton Barrios isn't causing you 15 and 5-yard, 10-yard penalties on, you know, uh, pre-snap penalties. Oh, God. Uh, yesterday, too. Yeah. No, I had another one yesterday. So, uh, you know, look, I'm a huge fan of the prospect that Mims was, right? Like, I thought he was one of the better receivers coming out of the draft. I thought he should have been a first-round pick. I, you know, I still stand by all of those things because I think the talent is still there. Uh, it would just – it would be nice if, you know, you knew that the player was putting in uh, the effort to reach that potential. So, again, I don't I don't want to – don't know the whole story, don't know everything going on, but, um, you know, I just hope that he makes the most of his opportunity. Um, let's talk about Michael Carter. Uh, I mean, he kind of disappeared a little bit yesterday. I, I mean – it was it was tough sledding for the entire offense, um, but you know I, I 
I, I've been impressed with obviously his season, the year that he kind of put together, uh, you know, 500, so just over 500 yards rushing. I think he had about like 200, 200 yards receiving or something like that. Um, up exactly. Uh, 639 yards rushing uh, and 325 yards receiving. So um, don't want to obviously talk about the entire roster and break everything down, uh, you know, the year review and stuff, because we're obviously going to do that all uh, next week and obviously the coming days. But uh, Michael Carter, you know, I think that you're probably going to see, you know, some – additions to this backfield, um, you know, maybe get somebody with a different body type in here than what we currently have. Uh, but what was your thought perform on the performance yesterday of the running backs? Non-existent. Like, just that the offensive line was so bad yesterday. And, and it really wasn't the offensive line in general. It was really Connor McDermott. And he he's so bad. Like – I every time he did a bad play, I would text you like he made the, like his kick step. Like I can't imagine an NFL player with a worse kick step. I I texted you. I I was like my ninety year old grandma has a better kick step than Connor McDermott. Like by the time he gets there, he kicks out. You got the the D end by him, and I get it. Buffalo's defense is great, but. Dude, come on. Figure, do something, and then uh, – I, I can't. I can't anymore talk about the Jets' offensive line. Well, we will have plenty of time to talk about the Jets' offensive line next week. So, Frank, I mean, the Jets for – didn't yesterday's game give you some like – like felt like week 15 – you know, not week 15, 2015, like 17, 2015, Jets played in Buffalo, except that time the game the game meant a whole lot, except this was the most excited I had felt watching the Jets play Buffalo since like maybe week one of like the Adam Gase year. Yeah, like that, this team is going to be a good team. Like, and I know, I know certain fan Fans of the Jets are off on Zach Wilson. They're off on Salah because they want that immediate satisfaction with this team. But stay, stay with it because this is going to be a good team. They're built. They're building this the right way, and you can see it. Yeah, uh, I think you know the outside perspective of the Jets is obviously always going to be worse than what what it actually is. You know, I, I mean, you know some. Some of my friends, you know, that are Patriots fans were texting me and asking me, like, hey, what would, you know, would you guys swap, like, Flores for Sala? And I was like, like, no. Like, why would we? Like, why would, why would we do that? Uh, I mean, because if you look, again, at the way the Jets have finished the year, they've been competitive. Uh, you know, they've been playing competitive football, and they – Basically, with the way this roster is constructed, they're playing with both hands tied behind their back. Yeah, you're playing with a college team right now. Like, did, between... did, like you're you're looking at like a a preseason football team. Besides, yeah. 
besides Mosley and like Michael Carter a little bit, but he's been banged up in and out. Like no one on this defense, you know, you had that receiver that made that great sideline catch. I've never even heard of him before. Tariq Black, yeah. Yes. Like, like where did he come from? I think they just signed him. University of Texas, apparently. Yeah. You know, yeah. so so like that like I try to have perspective when I'm looking at these games, right? Like the Jets went toe-to-toe with Tampa Bay with nobody. They went toe-to-toe with Tampa Bay with Braxton Barrios and Zach Wilson. Yesterday, yesterday, they they were down one score in the fourth quarter to a team that was fighting to win a division title. I get it. The Jets are helped out by Buffalo's special teams. But it's part but, of the game, right? Like, exactly. Exactly. How many field goals and extra points did the Jets miss in the beginning of the year? Like you see the fight, and that—that's what's good about this team. Like there's no quit in this team. You see the fire from Salah, um, especially on that. I don't know what happened on that play where uh, Josh Allen went out of bounds and he got hit a little late, and then he cried for a penalty, and then we had a ten minutes later. It felt like the flag came out. Like, I thought that was a little Bush League, especially from Josh I mean, Allen. The hit was – the hit was – the hit was – Oh, great. no. Oh, no. The hit was late. <laughs> but don't throw the flag because Josh Allen's crying about it. It's either I mean, a foul or it's not I guess foul. they feel like he's Tom Brady now, right? Like, you could ask for a flag. Um, but, I, you know, all those things that you just said about, you know, about Salah and the fire and the competitiveness of the team, you couldn't say those things – in the first the first few weeks of the season. Like you could not say that they were competitive like outside of like the, the Tennessee game and and the Atlanta game and the Buffalo game. Even the Atlanta game wasn't really competitive, right? Like like there were they they did not play a ton of competitive football for a very long stretch and then you know even Mike White comes in and they you know they look competitive but they got blown out by the Colts, right? Like they go out next week they get destroyed by Buffalo. They start Joe Flacco against Miami, and you know they look they look good for, for you know not some time. They, they you know they look decent or whatever. But then Zach Wilson comes back, and you know they just continue to get their faces kicked in again, right? So it's like it didn't start looking good until we got to the end of the year, and you're like, okay, well, like I, you're starting to actually build this team. I just would like to see, I like to see more toughness from them. I think they don't like they don't have that right now. They don't have like a swagger about them, and you know, kind of expectedly so, right? Like, you're not expecting this team to have like a bunch of swagger, but like have some like self-respect, right? Like you know, pick up your quarterback. Like when he gets like, there's one of the most frustrating things to watch, right? Like how many times go watch Tom Brady on Sunday, and the times that he gets sacked, like. Count how many times one of his offensive linemen doesn't pick him up off the floor, right? Like, if you give up your a sack to your quarterback, like, like you should feel bad and go like pick homie up off the floor, dude. Like, why is like picking up picking himself off the up off the floor? Like, it just drives me nuts. Like, they're not defending him after late hits. Like, all of it is just. I, I would just like to see them show some toughness. Yeah, I hear you, bro. All right, I think uh, 
thing we, we went we went a little bit over today for the most part of uh, of the show, but let's uh let's talk about a little let's spend a little time talking about um some some of these lines from the divisional games. So Frank, what do the uh, lovely people have to know, especially my uh, fellow New Yorkers this week? John, the NFL playoffs are here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is kicking things off with a huge offer. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any wildcard team to win their game. So if you bet just $5, you win $280 in free bets if your team is victorious. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, you still have something to play for this wildcard weekend. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TPPN this wildcard weekend at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older to enter. New Jersey, New York, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yes, sir, man. We got some interesting football lined up for the Super Wildcard weekend. Six total games. Two on Saturday. Three on Sunday. Even get one on Monday. Like, this is absurd. It's like football overload. Uh, but I will take it that's why they gave us all the saturday football to kind of like prep the brain and and uh you know get us ready for for this because this is a lot of my sense it's like sensory overload here with all the football that we will be getting and quality football too right you've got las vegas raiders traveling to cincinnati where that game the rate the uh Bengals are six are six point favorites uh, you've also got the new england patriots traveling to buffalo where the Buffalo Bills are four-point favorites. You've also got the Eagles traveling to Tampa Bay. They're eight-and-a-half-point favorites. Again, all these lines provided to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Again, enter that promo code TPPM, like my guy Frank said, especially my New Yorkers out there. Uh, there's a lot of bonuses out there for, you know, the New Yorkers who, again, sports gambling just became – online sports gambling just became legal in New York. So uh, a lot of promo codes out there, a lot of offers uh, for – for folks. So um, the other matchups, we got the San Francisco 49ers uh, traveling to Dallas. They're three-point underdogs against Dallas. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 12.5-point underdogs on the road in Kansas City. And then you've got the L.A. Rams, who are four-point favorites at home against Frank's Arizona Cardinals. So, Frank, which matchup are you most intrigued by this week? Pittsburgh and KC. Why? Big Ben. Why? I think he's going to have one more game in him. 
One more game in him. I'm not saying he's going to win, but that line ain't getting covered. I don't know, man. The Kansas City Chiefs have somewhat have uh, somewhat owned the Pittsburgh Steelers in recent years. I don't care about I don't care about that. Don't talk to me about. I know that. I know I I wouldn't really care, but when a lot of the things are still the same, right? Like the head coaches are the same. KC hasn't looked like KC this year. The quarterbacks the same, and Ben Roethlisberger is worse. I mean, they haven't looked like KC, but their their defense is playing better. Uh, last time these teams played earlier in the year, uh, and I believe KC got after Pittsburgh then too. It's just I can't like big big Ben's big Ben's arm is not at a place right now where he can win no. a shootout, and you might have to win a shootout because Pittsburgh's defense isn't even playing as high as a level as you know even like Denver's defense is playing like Denver's defense is was playing better is playing better football than Pittsburgh's and so I don't I, yeah it's going to be tough sledding for for Pittsburgh uh that's probably the one team I'm I'm off of the most the matchup I'm most intrigued by I guess not pick like if I had to pick a game uh I like if I had to pick a game, I think I'm picking the Bengals over the Raiders. Uh, six points. The Raiders coming off an emotional game. Uh, then they have to play on Saturday at 4.30. Like, that's crazy to me. Uh, six points on the road. Cincinnati. Uh, all those weapons over there in, in Cincy. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough sledding there. Now that that's, that's out of the way, games that – intrigue me. I think a lot of these matchups are super intriguing, especially, you know, you've got the AFC East wild card matchup here with the two divisional two divisional uh, opponents of the New York Jets. So basically, no matter what happens, one of our rival uh fan bases and organizations will feel pain, which is like that's a that's a good thing for us, right? Like we we're... I'm hoping it's New England. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, 100%. I'm hoping it's New England as well, right? Like you know, especially yeah, I got you know all my New England friends, and you know their stuff that the stuff that's going they're not on. Li- it's okay, John. They're not listening. So all the stuff that's going on in that group chat is is oh, I bet it's crazy. It's crazy, ridiculous. So uh, apparently, what, what about that San Fran game? That San Fran game. That is, is be the other game, game I was going to talk about. That game looks absolutely bana- like it seems like it's going to be bananas. Right? That's like, going to be bananas. The Niners are three. The Niners are three point dogs. How are they three point dogs? And that I don't. That I don't know. They're playing on the road. Fifty one point total here. Uh, like this game is going to be absolutely absurd. But here's the thing: Does Jimmy Garoppolo become what Jimmy Garoppolo do we do we get that? Are we going to get on the during that game? Like, are we going to see Jimmy G like we saw yesterday, or are we going to get you know what we normally get? But you know Kyle Shanahan's gonna go bananas with Debo. Like you're I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo has been having a, a really good a really good year playing for uh the Niners. I mean the stats don't look fantastic, right? Twenty touchdowns, twelve interceptions, but he's been playing quarterback, you know, at a high level in terms of just you know, just operating this offense and distributing the ball. And I think that obviously Kyle Shanahan is going to call this game the way that he wants to in terms of how he wants to attack the Niners. I don't think that 
or how he wants to attack the Cowboys. I don't know if that's going to be via the pass, though. I think that you could you could run on the Dallas Cowboys, and and you you know they showed that even against a second and third string Philadelphia team that you could kind of get run on there. So, you know, this is a, this is a Niners playoff. This is a Niners team that won a playoff game attempting like six pass attempts in the game. So like they can, they can do that. They can, they always have that run game to lean on. Uh, I think that they're probably going to do that. And and Jimmy G is going to make the plays that he has to, to, to distribute the ball to playmakers like Debo Samuel, like Brandon Ayuk, like, you know, like George Kittle and so on and so forth. But I think Elijah Mitchell is going to, you know, be, uh, you know, he's going to definitely have an impact in this game. Yeah, I can't wait. My wife is going to be so mad at me. Yeah, mine doesn't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) She'll find out, though. Yeah. Babe, if you're watching, sorry. Um, Anyway, so she, you know, like these – I think this other the other matchup that's interesting, right? Not because I think that they can win, but I think that they'll give them some trouble. Is Philadelphia against Tampa Bay? Oh, I don't think at all. I don't think I don't think that's gonna be intriguing at all. I I I feel like at the eight and a half points, uh, I think Philadelphia can make it close, right? Uh, when you look at just even how how dynamic their run game can be, right? Jalen Hurts and and they're getting Miles Sanders healthy and and uh, Jordan Howard and Boston Scott. Uh, I think Devontae Smith is obviously playing some really good football right now. So I think, you know, we saw the Jets, you know, really not put it on Tampa, but were able to score some points. And so I think that Jalen Hurts in this Philadelphia offense will probably be able to score – some points and and you know again make it close and uh, maybe even get like a backdoor cover type deal where you know they're you know they're down you know fourteen or something and they you know they get a late cheap touchdown to to pull it within eight and a half but um, it seems like Frank wants to uh, Frank you have a, you have a segment that you want to get into yeah I think we're gonna bring back. It's been a minute, probably since we did the breakdowns that we uh, going back to our blast from the past. So, John, why don't you tell me what's your favorite Jet wild card game? Favorite Jet wild card game? Uh, yeah. So I'm not gonna go super. Um, I'm not gonna go super old on us here. Um, my divisional round games were much like I, I like those were more fun to me. Um the divisional games like those stick out more to me. But wild card game that really sticks out, I think I'll have to go I think I'll have to go with the Colts game in twenty was it twenty ten? Yeah, the Colts game in twenty ten in the twenty ten season. Like twenty, it was probably like twenty eleven, but it was 2010, 2011 season. Um, the New York Jets were basically facing Peyton Manning, and this was a rematch of the AFC Championship game from the year before when the Jets uh, were were winning at halftime, uh, but got walloped in the second half. 
And, uh, you know, there was just all this talk about how the Jets were basically going to lose that game because Peyton Manning was going to do what Peyton Manning did to them the year, the year before. And the Jets had lost Jim Leonard, you know, like earlier in the year. And so you're kind of thinking like, you know, we're, we're kind of screwed. But they go into that game and they played a ton of cover two. And they played Eric Smith as like a dime linebacker. And they just kept forcing Peyton to run the football. <laughs> uh, and it's funny hearing the story because I think it was Bart Scott that had told the story. And I know Bart Scott's caught some heat, but you know, he's uh he was a staple on those those that 20, those 20, those 09 and those 10 teams. Uh, but, you know, they talk about Peyton Manning basically being like a computer where it's like he's always basically trying to get them, get his offense into the perfect play and how, you know, they knew that if you gave, if they just kept giving Peyton Manning like some, some two shell looks, some favorable run looks that he was going to take them. <laughs> and that was kind of how you know, Rex Ryan had, you know, basically concocted this game plan against Peyton Manning, which was like, hey, yeah, we're going to force you to run the ball and we're going to try to stop you that way. And I thought it was fantastic. Obviously, you know, there was the, you know, putting Darrell Revis one-on-one with Reggie Wayne, who had one target and no catches for zero yards. Like, that was awesome. Um but again, the Jets had to do something that they had done all year that year in 2010, uh, which was make a comeback. Uh, and Mark Sanchez, I'd, he had done previously that same year in you know uh, in MetLife against Houston. He had done it in Detroit. He had done it in uh, Cleveland. All in that same year, he had to just drive the Jets down and put them in position to potentially win the game. And uh, there was the throw to Braylon Edwards on the sideline, uh, which was, again, reminiscent of the play earlier in the year in Houston. It's basically the same play where the defense gave the Jet, gave Mark Sanchez and the, defense, and, the, and the Jets offense cover two. Braylon Hole runs like, like that. The, you know, that fade route and Mark Sanchez just hits him in that cover two hole shot right, right over the corner, right in front of the safety. And uh, Braylon Edwards gets the ball, uh, you know, ends up out of bounds. The Jets are then line up and Nick Folk, who at the time was having a, you know, rough go at it as the, uh, the Jets kicker. Uh, you know, goes in and and basically puts it through. And, you know, we were on to to New England where everybody obviously knows what happened that week. Yeah, that was a fun game to watch. It really was. But for me, I'm going to stay with the same team, but I'm going to go to the year 2003. So that'd be the... 2002 season that'd be the last time the Jets won the division and it'll be the last time that the Jets won or hosted a playoff game so Herman Edwards was the coach 
And obviously we had Pennington as the quarterback. And I remember going into that game thinking the Jets had no shot. And then like it had to be, I think it was like the third play from scrimmage. Chad threw a little screen pass to Richie Anderson, who was the Jets fullback at the time. And he like just breaks off a 56 yard field goal or a 56 yard touchdown rather. And I'm thinking this is ridiculous. What's really crazy about this game was that Curtis Martin obviously was the Jets whole team during those years, but the Jets had a backup running back in Lamont Jordan, and he actually ran the ball 20 times for 102 yards, two touchdowns, had another nine yards receiving, and Curtis had to rush the ball 15 times for only 67 yards. So that was that was kind of crazy. Yeah, that game, I mean, that was uh, – I was very early in my, my New York Jets uh, fandom. And so that game, while I I remember it and I've, I've seen highlights from it, I, I can tell you that definitively that I did not watch that game. Like, I, I did not see that game. And so – but I do remember Lamont Jordan. We, I remember you and I, we've talked about Lamont Jordan before uh, and – you know, how he he had there was some really good seasons where, you know, really made you feel like when Curtis Martin, obviously we, we know how his career ended with the injuries and, and whatnot and, you know, the early retirement. But he, um, you know, he, he would go on to, you know, get a free agent contract from the Raiders and ultimately like not pan out. But I thought that the, I was so mad when the Jets did not re-sign Lamont Jordan because he had quickly become like one of my, one of my favorite players. Um, and you said that, yeah, this was the 2002 season and then they lost the divisional round to the Raiders the next week. Um, but I, yeah, I thought that you were going to, I thought you were going to bring up the Chargers game because that game was, the Chargers well, that, was, game. that was another phenomenal game. Yeah, that game that game was wild. Um, I just I just got to go back to where the Jets actually hosted because I kind of had a feeling where you were gonna go just from knowing you. Like it was one or two games for you, obviously, because I know how your fandom goes. But like for me, like. The Jet, I, I was number one. I was at that game, so that adds that, you know, that, that adds that <laughs> adds to it. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how many times have the Jets blown out an opponent? Nevertheless, blown out an opponent in the playoffs, in the playoffs. right? Well, they did it again. And, yeah, <laughs> that that one Cincinnati, Cincinnati. Oh no, yeah, they. I mean, they, you know, they yeah, they blew up the doors off Cincinnati. That was a wild card round too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, blew the doors off Cincinnati. I thought you were talking about the when the last time they blew off blew out an opponent in the playoff game. Let's talk about the Patriots. And, nah, I mean, they didn't really blow them out, but that score was much closer than. Oh yeah, of course. Game was of not course. as close as the score was. No, but I'm talking about you know you you beat Peyton forty one to zero. Yeah, that's crazy. That's absurd. Yeah, no the. Uh, 
yeah, the San Diego game the, the in 2005 was crazy because it led to the Pittsburgh game, which was absolutely absurd. Like, that game was crazy. You get We've a, had some bad losses in the playoffs to Pittsburgh. I mean, but you're able to 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 you're able to get a 75-yard punt return from Santana Moss. And then you're able to get an 86-yard interception return from Reggie from Reggie Tong. The Steelers go down, they you know, they're able to drive and score a touchdown, but you the the Steelers it seemed like the Steelers and the Jets well the week before this the the Chargers and the Jets nobody wanted to win that game between the kickers and this week and then this week it seems like Doug Bryan thought he was in the same competition of you know let's see who's who's gonna be the last to not miss it he was horrendous he was horrendous Doug Bryan was horrendous yeah all right well this was this was a you know all this talk about playoffs. Hopefully we can reminisce on some recent playoff memories from the Jets. That's not going to happen this season, but there's always next year. And that's what we fully expect from the Jets. If you listen to the show, you've been listening to to us for a while. Like we've been saying it, like we don't expect the Jets to be a playoff team this year. We just expect them to be competitive, especially down the stretch, which they were, Um, you know, again, if you, some of the injuries don't happen, Maybe they get to those six, seven wins that we thought that they that they were capable of, but ultimately injuries are part of the NFL. That happens, and you you know you just have to adjust. And I think, uh, you know, we will see what this coaching staff can continue to do uh, in year two, uh, especially with all these young players. That again, they played more first and second year players than anybody in the league. They 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 tied an NFL record for starting most rookies, ten. 10 rookies. So like, uh, actually, I don't know if that's an NFL record, if they just led the league, but um, they, either way, they are a young team. They're getting older, they're getting more experience and, and you can't put a value on experience and playing time, which a lot of, again, a lot of these guys got. So next year, instead of being a lot of first and second year players, you're going to have a lot of second and third year players. And these are going to be the cores of your roster and these four guys, obviously, you know, they have a, a bunch of draft capital and flexibility and free agency. But these four picks in the top 40, uh, these guys are going to be what hopefully help you go from competitive to in the playoff hunt. And, and that's what we that's what we expect from this Jets team next year. Yeah, bro. Can't wait to see it. It's going to be a long offseason. Definitely going to be a long offseason, but. As Jet fans, it's always our favorite time of the of, of the year because the season pretty much goes like this. So all we have is the off season because all it does is all it does is give you hope, right? Hope because there's no record, there's no games, nothing counts. It's just how can we get better? And then all of us Jet fans, we're gonna we're gonna sit there, we're gonna look at the free agents. We're going to look at the draft picks. We're going to think about things that they should do. We're going to make like a depth chart and none of that will come true because they'll just end up doing what they want to do it in any way. But we're, it's going to be fun and it'll be fun doing it with you guys here on this feed. So uh, make sure you're rocking with us. And uh, yeah, until next time, y'all have a good one. And we're out of here. Peace.